Hello, this is Richard Simmons at the Center for Executive Leadership in Birmingham, Alabama. Today I'd like to share with you a talk by Drayton Neighbors that he gave at the Center. He's speaking on the role of Christ in the life of business. I hope you enjoy it. As we all catch a breath, let's, um, let's open it with prayer. Um, Father, first I, I just thank you for all these men being with us this, this morning. Your son's beatitude said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And clearly this is a group that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. So Father, it's our prayer. The prayer of all of us is that you would feed that hunger and quench that thirst uh, through what is said uh, by you through me today. That's our prayer, Father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. A couple of quick things. Um, uh, this is my second time to give this talk. It, it'll be a different talk than whatever I said the first time, I can assure you that. But it does remind me of, of the story that's told about the evangelist that went all throughout Southeast Asia, and just tens of thousands of people were drawn to his sermons, and, and many, many, many souls were saved. And the last uh, place he visited was Seoul, Korea, and he went to it was then Pastor Cho's church, the largest in the world. And he got there in the afternoon. He was going to preach that night with a number of people in the sanctuary. And one of them came up to him and says, um, Evangelist, we're so thrilled to have you. We're so excited uh, that you're here. And we're now praying. We're praying for tonight. There were about 40 people there praying. And just thank you so much for being here. And the evangelist said, well, I'm excited to um, I gave this sermon in Manila um, a couple of days ago uh, to tens of thousands, and they just loved it. And it was so exciting. The Lord used it mightily, and I'm just going to do that tonight. And little Corinne looked at him and said, Pastor, we're not praying for any retread. <laughs> <laughs> so, this may or may not be a retread. I, I don't know. Um, but we're going to talk... Uh, um, I've been asked to talk on this uh, subject, and that is the place of Christ in the life of business. And interestingly enough, I was going to do it anyway, but I, um, you, you've opened the way. I want to begin by, what well, we have an issue, at least in the United States, in understanding that Christ should be with us every minute of the day when we're doing business. We sort of think that um, spiritual things are be, to be done with nonprofits or in the church, but not in the business. When we're in business, uh, we've got to make some money. Um, we've got to work hard. It's a competitive marketplace out there. We've got to be tough. And therefore, why Christ? And um, I hope by the end of the talk today, I've answered that question. But I think Bob Buford's book, From Success to Significance, illustrates some of the reason that we think about significance occurring when we're outside of work and success occurring when we're inside of work. And you might even infer for that that what we're doing at work has no spiritual significance. And that's just, that's just not the case. I think spiritually, in terms of whatever I may have done to further the kingdom of God, I did in the workplace. Uh, I, I, I do nothing but nonprofit work now. Nobody will pay me. And, uh, <clears throat> um, 
I'm sure it's significant too. I mean, it is with God's grace significant. But what you'll do today in the world of work is for God and significant. And if you don't think that, well, it's just very hard to be a Christian in most of your life. You can't tell Jesus, I'm going to leave you in the car. Uh, I'll be back at five o'clock. You've got to understand he's there with you and he wants you to succeed. And by his grace, he wants to equip you and empower you um, and give you the wisdom uh, to practice whatever you do in the business world in a way that brings him glory. So that's really uh, what we'll be talking about today. But the first thing we need to understand, or the, the only thing I need to get across in this talk, if by the grace of God I can do it, is in the world of work. Um, you are working for the kingdom of God, and that work is very significant. And if you don't think it is, you really should get out of it, because you are. I assume I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, and I'm talking to Christians. And you don't want to spend 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week, doing something that is outside the purview of the Lord's um, guidance of your life. So... Um, We're going to try to understand this general subject in light of Scripture. Uh, This book is Reflections for the Existence of God. Um, Richard can write that book. I'm not smart enough to. uh, uh, But if you don't believe God exists, then what I'm saying isn't going to help us very much. It it is premised on that. In fact, I really, I, I really... I'm not a philosopher as Richard is, and I had all the questions that he addresses in that book. And all of a sudden, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I was 37 years old, which is older than some of you in this room. Um, This thought occurred to me. I hope it was given to me by God himself or his Holy Spirit. And that is, I'm going to believe the Bible as it's written. And that I sort of (laughs) short-circuited Uh, what Richard is doing. And those are are issues that perhaps we all wrestle with, um, but the source of wisdom and understanding for me, and perhaps I I trust you as well, um, um, will come from the Bible. So what does the Bible have to say about the world of work? And what does it have to say about God in the workplace? That's what we're going to talk about today. And we can't read beyond the first chapter of Genesis without getting an answer to that question, or at least getting on the right track to answer that question. Because in Genesis chapter 1, God talks about creating us, about creating human (coughs) beings, and he says, let us make them in the image of God, in our likeness let them be. Then he goes on to say, let's give them dominion over the earth, and all that is in the earth, and everything that lives on the earth. So we're in the image of God, and we are to have dominion over this earth. And then it says, and then may they be fruitful and multiply. Um, So that's it. You don't have to go a lot further than Genesis chapter 1. In the workplace, you are assuming dominion over this earth. I don't know what this group does. I see a banker there. Who would ever have thought that a banker could be serving God? I'm, I'm sorry, Richard. 
he's going to call my loans. I know he is just immediately. <laughs> but bankers um, do serve God. I mean, where would we be without the capital uh, that banks infuse into the world of work? We build bridges because we have bankers and we have architects. When you're building a bridge, you're designing a bridge, you are carrying out the commission that God gave mankind in Genesis chapter 1. So we have lawyers, we have architects. Whatever we do, we, Fairfax, that's my wife, by the way, um, decided we needed a new roof. Well, I, the old roof would have lasted another five years, but when she decides we're going to get a new roof, we get a new roof. And I don't even know the roofer's name, but he was a good Christian man, he, the guy in charge of the crew. He was doing God's work when he was putting a roof on our house. It's part of taking dominion over this earth and taking something that was wearing out and making it new. So whatever your work is, we're within the commission that God gives us in the first chapter of, of Genesis. Um, many, many, for many years, let's just say 1,500 years. By the way, I'm a conservative and if somebody, if, if there's some thought around for 1,500 years, I think it's pretty valid. <laughs> but uh, for 1,500 years, there was a clear dichotomy between the work of the church, the priesthood, and the work of everybody else. Um, and uh, priests were just a higher order of Christian living than were the people that baked the bread uh, and uh, built houses. And then Martin Luther came along, and Martin Luther says, bunk. And he says the specific words that he used, the, the milkmaid, um, um, what's the other word? Well, I'll just take it with milkmaid. Or, or the common laborer is just as much a child of God and doing the work of God as is a priest. Um, and Martin Luther was absolutely right about that. There's no difference between what a minister is doing or what a missionary is doing in terms of carrying out the commission of God than what the roofer is doing or what the yard man is doing or what the banker is doing or the lawyer is doing. We're all doing God's work. We're all helping God through Jesus Christ take dominion over this world. Um, and for each one of us, in our callings, and I'm going to talk more about callings, um, uh, God has a specific plan for you. What you're going to be doing today, hopefully, is part of that plan. If it's not part of that plan, then get into prayer before you go to work. So you'll try to figure out what he wants you to do. But in Ephesians, uh, this is chapter 2, I can't give you the verse. Uh, it goes like this. You, we, each one of us, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the work which he prepared beforehand for us to do. That's Ephesians chapter 2. You're God's workmanship, and, and you are to do the work which he has prepared beforehand for you to do. That's at 1030 this morning. That's at 3 o'clock this afternoon. If you nap a little bit at 2.30, maybe he planned that. For, uh, he just said, this guy's going to be a little lazy, and so we won't ask him to do very much. Um, and um, in Psalm 139, exactly the same thing. All the days 
in my life, in your book, were written before the first one came to be. So God's got a book for you, a day-by-day book, an hour-by-hour book uh, for you. You hear according to God's plan to live into his purpose. And most generally, that purpose is to make dominion and to be fruitful and to multiply. And that is what the world of work is all about. And Jesus is to be our Lord in that work. Of course, he has dominion over the universe. He created the universe. All things, the Bible says, were made for Jesus. Okay? Think about that. All things were made for Jesus. So you work for ABC Company. Is it one of the all things or is it not? I mean, does all mean all in the Bible or does it mean partially? It, all things. Your company is for God. And the truth of the matter is it may not be doing the things that a godly company might do. And you say, I'm going to leave. Well, maybe you should leave. I'm not going to get into that. But most definitely, in whatever jurisdiction, small jurisdiction you might have within that company, you're working for Jesus Christ. You're carrying out His commission for you in that work. Now, um, uh, you've got the blue book. I, I assume many of you have it. Um, let's turn to page 280, and there's just a little poem by George, uh, uh, George Herbert, which I love and is, is worth reflecting on. It's up at the top of page 280. And um, teach me, my God and King, in all things thee to see. That's biblical, by the way. All things. Does it say just, just, just when I'm doing Christian work, nonprofit work, um, in all things thee to see, and what I do in anything to do it all for thee. That's worth, that's worth thinking about. Um, a servant with this clause makes drudgery define, divine, who sweeps a room as for their laws makes that action fine. So, we're working for God in all things that we do. That is biblical teaching. And the best way to understand our life is to go to the Bible and just ask what does it have to say about the world of work? In the blue book, and I'll get to it a little bit later, there's Appendix C. Appendix C are just those verses that at the time I wrote the book, 2010, um, I had jotted down and I had a separate list of them, which were to give me guidance in the world of work. Um, they didn't relate to anything other than the world of work. And there was a ton, and there's, there's pages of verses there. I've added many to them since then. But... Particularly, I want to go to um, Colossians chapter 3, and I think it's roughly verse 23. Whatever you do, you got it? Whatever? We got a lawyer in the room? <laughs> no, really, do we? Don't have a lawyer. Does what, what does whatever not include? <laughs> That's right, Whatever. So would whatever cover our work, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. It is 
Christ Jesus that you're serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. And it is the Lord Jesus you're serving and not man. And he makes the same point uh, three or four uh, verses later. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord, giving thanks. Um, so the Bible is saying that what we're doing day by day in our work, we're working for Jesus Christ. Now let's take it a step further, if we will. And that is when you go to the world of work following this talk. Jesus is going to be there with you. It can't be that he will not be with you. Well, it can be. I mean, he's going to be there. You can say, get lost, and Jesus will get lost. I mean, he's very humble in that regard. He doesn't try to force himself on anybody. But in Galatians, we read this, and this is in chapter 2. Through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. It is not I that lives, but Jesus who lives in me. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I that live, but Jesus who lives in me. Think about it. He lives in you. Now, are you, are you going to leave him at the door when you walk into the world of work? Is he going to come in there with you? Because he's in your heart, and you can say, you know, Jesus, get lost. But we don't do that. He's there. He is there with us. There's a great prayer. It's also a pen. Can I take my jacket off? Yeah, I understand. Um, it's in Ephesians 3. And there's an appendix in this book, which is uh, Appendix B. And that's a collection of the prayers of Paul um, for the churches and for the Christians when, when he was in his ministry. Those are great prayers. I don't think there's none, any, that I love more than that in chapter um, 3 of Ephesians. Um, and there, uh, Jesus is praying. Somebody get me started with it. And the, yeah, yeah. Keep the one. Terrific, Bill. I'm reading pretty well. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I pray that I pray that out of God's glorious riches, He may strengthen you, strengthen us in our Holy Spirit, um, in our inner being, that Christ will dwell in us through faith. Are you with me? That's a good way to start every single day. Can I be strengthened, dear God, in my inner being, through your Holy Spirit, with power, that Christ will dwell in my heart through faith? And Christ does dwell in our hearts through faith when we enter the world of work. So if the title of this talk is The Role of Christ in the Life of Work, He has dominion over your, your life in the life of work. He's there with you. His role is supreme. There is no dichotomy between what you do before you retire and what you do after retiring. What you're doing in the work is very significant. Very significant. If you have success too, that's fine. There's a fella, y'all of you know him. I won't name him, but I'm sure you all know him. Um, and we were talking, and he had made a fortune, plenty of money to retire. 
And he says, I want to go into full-time Christian work. I said, you're already in full-time Christian work. You're in full-time Christian work um, in, in your offices. And I said, you've made a lot of money. Uh, you're very smart. You can build another company, make a lot of money, and give it to the kingdom. You can be significant and successful. That's what he's done. Um, but his thought was from success, from success to significance. Don't think that way. What we're doing today, what you're doing today, is very, very significant. Now, I will go to um, Appendix C. You don't need to turn to it. They're just a bunch, probably 40 or 50 verses. Uh, and over a period of time, um, all of those verses were sort of in my consciousness. Um, and they helped me in my work. I'm not saying I was blessed because I was praying these particular verses. You can turn any one of them into prayer. But I would take a trip out of town, get in a hotel room, and spend two hours um, on those scriptures just praying, praying them. Every Sunday afternoon, uh, I would spend an hour or two praying these verses specifically with respect to work. Um, because Jesus is going to have dominion over our time and space in work and we might as well know what he thinks about it and what he thinks about it is what is in his word so you can look at appendix c um my blue book is pretty much torn up so i've, I've rebounded but i continue to add to it. It, it 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 never comes to an end but the bible is chuck full of instruction about how we have wisdom with respect to what we do, how we have success, by the way, in what we do, um, how we have the strength, how God equips us in what we do. There's a prayer that I use from um, um, Hebrews chapter 13, equip me with everything good for the doing of your will and work in me what is pleasing to you. That's the way the author of Hebrews sort of finishes um, uh, that letter or that sermon. Jesus will equip us to do our work. How many of you have issues that are difficult? Give me a hand. Jesus is going to help you work through those issues. He really is. He will give you wisdom. He will give you strength. Uh, he will give you understanding. I'm not say saying he will necessarily give you victory. By the way, raise your hand if you like the word victory. There is somewhere in Appendix C a prayer that, I've, well, a teaching which I've made into a prayer from Proverbs. And it says, He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. He gives victory to the, to the righteous ones. He guards the path of those that follow him. And then it goes on to say, Do not fear sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wickedness. For, the God, for God will be your shield, your strength and will not let your foot fail. That's in Proverbs. I pray that over and over again. I had some problems, I mean, that brought me to my knees. How many have problems that bring you to your knees? He's there to help us. He really is. He wants to give us wisdom. He wants, even as we may not succeed in this problem and that problem, to use it in such a way is to build our character because he's got, he knows where we're going to be going down the road. We don't. Uh, I'm not a, a prosperity preacher um, because 
if we have nothing but prosperity, we're not going to be very good disciples of Jesus Christ. We've all grown most when we've had challenges that bring us to our needs. And that's how we begin to understand that Christ is there for us. Now, uh, Milton Friedman wrote a book called, he says, The Social Responsibility of Any Business is to Maximize Profits. I'm sort of a Friedman fan, but that's a bunch of junk. I'm excuse me, I shouldn't say that. That is not the social responsibility of a business. Fortunately, in my time, the Friedman thought was being supplanted by that of Peter Drucker. I don't know, I'm, I'm an old guy, maybe Peter Drucker is not still around in what you read. He wrote a book called The Practice of Management. It was the best book on management. I mean, he was the leading authority on management for many, many years. And he says the purpose of a business is to create a customer. Then another guy named Edwards Deming, um, who really led the Japanese industry out of uh, the chaos that was created by World <coughs> War II. And a lot of the ingenuity that you see in Japanese business and products comes from the thought of Deming. And he became very influential in the United States and was um, when I was in the business world. First principle, focus on the customer. Second principle, continuously improve. Third principle, and that is equip and empower the worker. So if you knew Deming, you were focused on your customer and you were focused on your worker. And I'm not going to get into a debate as to whether um, Friedman has it right. Um, but I am going to say this, that this guy named Michael Novak, um, with American Enterprise, and he says that 1776 was the most important year, he doesn't say it this way, I'm saying it, in Christians or in mankind taking dominion over this earth. And if I ask you what happened in 1776, we'll all say the Declaration of Independence, that's not what Michael Novak um, was writing about. 1776 was the year that Adam Smith published The Wealth of Nations. And in The Wealth of Nations, Smith, for the first time, made it clear that our creative instincts and our productivity um, should rest in the free marketplace. Uh, should rest in a marketplace where self-interest is driving us. What is, what is his famous close? It's not the butcher or the, it's not the self, it's not the... It's not the benevolence of the butcher or the baker that puts food on the table at night, but they acting in their own self-interest that does it. The baker's down there looking at a customer, and he knows his business is going to succeed if his bread is good, and you come back to his store. But from 1770, in 1776, there had been essentially no improvement in the lot of mankind over the last thousand years. If you lived in an industrial, what is now an industrial nation such as France, 90% of the people used 80% of their income just to buy food, just to feed their family. And it wasn't very fancy food, by the way, either. I guess it was bread. Uh, that was in 1776. Then the principles of the free marketplace began to be adopted, especially in the United States, but also in Europe. And the standard of living increased immensely, immensely. 
And still today, I, I go to Rwanda. I've been going to Rwanda about 20 years. <clears throat> and that country is flourishing because for the last 20 years following the genocide, it has been governed by free market principles. Um, and um, as a result, communication, roads, housing, electricity, all of that is, is being generated in Rwanda because the people are being released through the free market. And how much is the United States producing through free markets that helps the rest of the world? Bill Gates is about to eliminate malaria worldwide with what the free marketplace has produced um, for Bill Gates. Um, you are in a free marketplace and it is very, very productive. So if God has said, um, um, multiply and be fruitful, what you're going to be doing today is all about multiplication of uh, the resources of this world and making them fruitful in an economic way for other people. And Jesus is there with you. So the role of Jesus in the marketplace, especially, and it's a real privilege, by the way, for that reason, to be in the United States, um, uh, to be in a world where free markets um, can thrive. Um, we could have been born in North Korea, for heaven's sakes, or Cuba. Uh, China is flourishing. It's, it may be ruled by the Communist Party, but it's flourishing because wherever there's free markets, the Chinese are extremely resourceful people, and they're putting free markets to make um, China a more prosperous place. Now, <coughs> what time do you want me out of here? Uh, you've got 15, 14, 15 minutes. Okay. Um, I want to talk about calling, um, if I might. Um, the bottom line is each of you is called by God most likely to continue to do whatever you're currently doing. If you go, I think, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, Paul says, with respect to new Christians, wherever you were, whatever your situation was, when you were saved, stay there. So, oh, I was, the, I'll just like talk about myself. I, I don't like to say it this way, but I'm going to. I was saved when I was 37. My first thought was to go to seminary. I mean, for heaven's sakes, God, why have you got me? I was in practice in law, but I thought, think, thought the same when I went to protect it. Why am I a lawyer? Why am I in insurance when I can be full-time for you? Um, so let's go to seminary. Of course, <laughs> I, me I messed around with that with my wife, and um, she says, you ain't going to seminary. <laughs> <laughs> And there were other reasons, too, but I, I sort of fought. I sort of fought with God, and I said, um, open that door. Finally, th this, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it took place within a 10-hour period. He said to me, you ingrate, I've given you a great job. I've given you a wonderful family. I've situated you in Birmingham. Now, just bloom where you're planted. Um, and so you're called to your workplace and perhaps um, God wants you to change. I'm not saying he doesn't, um, but the presumption ought to be I'm not going to. I want, I'm going to serve God right where I am. I'm going to try to make whatever I'm doing, I want to glorify God. 
And, and I want him to give me the wisdom. I want him to give me the resourcefulness. And in all likelihood, you will flourish in that particular position. But the point I, where we start with the idea of calling is whatever your work is, you're not called principally to that work, primarily to that work. You're called to belong to Jesus Christ. That is what the calling is. Come and follow me. He doesn't say come and be a lawyer. Um, he doesn't say come and, and be an architect. He says come and follow me. Paul begins his letter to the Romans, and there are many verses I could use on this point, but his letter to the Romans is written to blah, 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 and all who belong to Jesus Christ. So you're called to Jesus Christ. He has put you where you are. You you're called to your job because you're serving Jesus Christ in that job and He has planned for you to be in that job. All your days were written in His book before the first one came to be. But our calling is to Jesus Christ. Now keep, let's go back to the title of this talk. What is the place of Jesus Christ in the world of work? Um, all of us as Christians are called to belong to Him. He's right there with us. He's in our heart. He has a plan for us. He is, he is Lord. He has dominion over our lives. Are you with me? So are you called? we're called to Jesus Christ first. And then we're called to serve him in the work that he has given us. Um, and he will indwell us. And by the way, we are in him as well. If you go to John chapter 15, the vine and the branches, um, um, there the whole teaching of Jesus is you will dwell in me, and I will dwell in you. And he also says one other thing, and this is said a number of times in Scripture. Without me, what does Jesus say? Without me, what do we have? Nothing. Nothing. Can that be so? <laughs> no, you can probably make a ton of money. Um, even without Jesus, some people do. But you who have given your lives to Jesus, who've looked at him and said, be Lord, it is nothing if you're doing it on your own. Um, um, that's a choice we have. Jesus has some talk, uh, teaching on money. Some of the reasons that we can think in terms of success and significance. He says, you can't say serve God and money. And he's absolutely right. You can't serve God and money. But that does not mean that money can't serve God. And this is... Uh, Richard may never ask me back if that's okay. But I would love to give a talk on one of Augustine's um, dictum. And he says that righteousness, he uses the word virtue, is love rightly ordered. If we just get that right, everything else will fall into place. And the type of love is always God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That doesn't mean there can't be money in your life. But that money is to serve Jesus. It's to serve God. You've got to order these things. Family is important in your life. And you to love your family. You love your spouse, your, your wife, and your children. But in the right order, God comes first. You love them. And through that love, He provides for them. And He is glorified. Um, that chair can be somewhere in the order, I hope not in the top 20. Um, um, but just think of your life that way. What do you love? I'm not going to embarrass you, but if I used Alabama and Auburn as an example and say, do you love their football? 
I probably would get hands from 90% of the people in this class. Be sure that love is in the right order. Um, uh, just think about that, how much passion we have for competitive sports in relation to the passion that we may have for God or for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> um, there are a couple of prayers, a couple of verses. Every verse that relates to business for me is a prayer. Um, and, um, but um, I, I, I've tried to give you a little bit of the flavor of the prayer that's in Ephesians 3. He finishes that prayer, he says, finishes it this way with really sort of a doxology. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all that you ask or imagine through my power at work within you. You've heard many a sermon on that, haven't you? God is able to do immeasurably more through power at work within us. First, that the particular statement comes only after we are told that Jesus will dwell in our hearts through faith. And then the next word, when you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Be worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And how does he say we're to be worthy? He says, with all humility and gentleness. And, um, and gentleness and patience bearing with one another in love. So you're going to be in your office, and in a macro sense, you're serving Jesus Christ as Lord in your office. In a macro sense, you are fulfilling God's commission, and that is you are making this world productive and fruitful and multiplying it. But in a micro sense, which is just as important, uh, the way you work today and uh, don't hold me to this. I'm just going to hold you to it, okay? That's fair enough. I'm teaching. You, you got to be humble and gentle and patient. There was, in, the, in the Wednesday talk, there was a guy in here who actually worked for me. And boy, it's so hard for me to say that. Because he would have, if, if he had been entitled, if I'd let him, he would have stood up and he says, Neighbors was never gentle. <laughs> <laughs> Bearing with one another in love. That's how we take Jesus into the workplace. He's going to give us the wisdom. He's going to give us the strength. He's going to equip us. But also, we have his Holy Spirit so we can be patient and gentle as we work through things, um, even in a competitive world. I'm not going to get too much into the world of competition. That's another one. But I'm trying to talk about calling now. That is what we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Be worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Um, and then behave with all gentleness and patience and humility, bearing with one another um, in love. Second Thessalonians um, chapter 1, verse 11. Let me try to get this right. I won't have to go to it, I'm sorry. This is Paul praying for the Thessalonians. We constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his callings. We're accountable in our calling. We need to be, God's counting it. Count is just a, is, is a subpart of accountability. Worthy of your calling and that by his power, God's power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours in every act prompted by your faith. That's a sweet prayer to have, isn't it? God, may I be worthy of your calling. 
And then God, in with me today, whatever we're doing, whatever the challenges are, through your power, will you fulfill every good purpose of our company, of my work, of my unit, um, and every act, act prompted by my faith. So calling is related to God's power working through <coughs> us to accomplish everything that comes from him. Um, I'm getting closer. I want to talk a little bit about Truett Cathy. There's a whole chapter in the book, chapter 21, about Chick-fil-A. Um, I imagine we all go to Chick-fil-A from time to time. Truett Cathy was a wonderful man, didn't go to college, uh, got, got out of uh, the Army after World War II. He didn't serve valiantly. I don't think he even left the United <laughs> States. But he served and he was discharged. Um, he went to the bank, Richard. I bet you would have loved <laughs> to have been his banker. He borrowed $6,000 and opened up a house called the Dwarf House uh, there near the Atlanta airport. I think it had six stools at a bar and um, a couple of tables. And he served ham and eggs and uh, sort of like the old Tartle House. I think he did that for 21 years. He started with his brother. His brother was killed in an air crash, so he was doing it by himself. He was open 24 hours a day, but he was mopping the floors. He was flipping the hamburgers. He was washing the dishes, um, and he was closed on Sunday uh, because he, he said, I was worn out on Saturday night. That, I mean, he didn't go to the uh, Ten Commandments. He just said, I was worn out on Saturday night, so I was going to rest on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> um, um, and then... Um, this was back in the days, all of you are too young to even know about these days, but there was once a day, a time when you could fly from New York to Birmingham and you, and you could get a meal on the plane. So the people that catered to the uh, airlines were there next to the Dwarf House and they um, were serving um, breasts uh, on airline flights and they had some scraps, so he started doing sort of nuggets. Uh, there at the Waffle House, and people loved chicken nuggets. No fast order place ever had chicken. Well, he had the first chicken in a fast, um, fast food place. And then he said, boy, they love these nuggets so much, he started buying the whole fillets and making the sandwich, and that, and that is how Chick-fil-A started. The time I wrote this book, um, which was 2010, he had 1,500 Chick-fil-A's. I guess he's got three or 4,000 now, I don't know. It's still a family company, uh, and in fact, there is a covenant within the family, for generational covenant, that they're never going to go public, that all of the stock is going to continue to be held within the family. The family is getting pretty large now. Um, so in the early uh, part of this century, about 2000, and now Richard, help me. When did the interest rates get up, hit the roof? Um, late? Early 80s? Early 80s. Okay. That about put him under. Um, and um, uh, so he went through this crisis and he couldn't pay his debts. He couldn't pay his loan. His $6,000 loan, I'm sure, was larger than that. So he really got his family together and said, let's go have a strategic planning session. His son, son was Dan. And they started talking about how they're going to pay their debt. Richard, I'm sure you love that kind of talk. And Dan said, wait, wait we got to answer this question. What's the purpose of this business? And Truett was more practical than Dan. Um, Truett said, no, we're going to talk about how to 
how to deal with our problems. Dan said, no, we've got to talk about um, what the purpose of the business is. Um, and so they came up with this statement for the purpose of the business. I want to share it with you. It's on page 255. Um, how much time, Richard? A couple minutes. Okay, we're going to try to finish. And this became the two-sentence purpose of the mission of the company, the statement of the mission of the company. First, to glorify God by being faithful stewards of all that he has entrusted to us. It's okay, isn't it? It could apply to everyone in this room. I don't know what you have outside of your work, what you, what's been entrusted to you inside of the work. But the purpose of your life, our lives, should be to be faithful stewards um, of whatever resources we have. That includes whatever intellect we have, whatever we have in our body, whatever we have with respect to financial resources, to glorify God. You, you ain't here for any other purpose. And that purpose applies to what you will be doing today at work because Jesus is going to be there with you. And Jesus' mission is to glorify his Father. <laughs> Us is to glorify Jesus by being faithful stewards of whatever he has given us. Number two, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A, with you, with your company, with what you do. I hate to admit this, but I'm going to. Um, for 79 years, not really, but the adult part of that, I thought the book How to Win for Friends and Influence People was just a bunch of malarkey. I mean, that was... I'm all about character, um, and that's just about the superficial personality stuff. I read that book about three months ago, and I said, why did I wait so long? Uh, if you want to have an answer to the question of how to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with you, go read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I think it was first published in 1925 or something like that. And it is nothing but biblical wisdom. Um, and and um, so what better statement um, of um, our purpose in working for God and um, serving Christ in the workplace or bringing Christ into the workplace, what better statement than these two sentences? Be faithful stewards of all he's given us to glorify God and be a positive influence on everybody that comes in contact with you or your business. Um, so it, 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 it sounds like that's it. Um, um, and that's okay. Um, um, but let's pray. Father, um, this is a glorious day, and this is a day that we will go into the world of work and just put in our hearts and in our minds a sure and certain knowledge and faith that your son Jesus Christ is going to be with us. Um, he is going to be with us so that we will be faithful stewards of whatever is entrusted to us in our work today. Faithful stewards, so it, through that we can glorify you. 
And, Je and Jesus will be with us so that we will be a positive influence on everybody that we may come in contact with. And we even pray that more broadly for our business. Wherever our business touches anyone, may it and our people uh, be a positive influence on whatever that relationship is. And Jesus, it's what a privilege it is to be appointed uh, to be your stewards here on earth, to be productive and to multiply, creative and to multiply and to bear fruit. And let us never forget that is the re way, reason we are here. That is the reason you died. That is the reason our sins are forgiven. That is the reason that you have given us the Holy Spirit so that in our work and in all that we do, we will bring you glory. So that's our prayer, Jesus, and we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to the Reliable Truth Podcast with Richard E. Simmons III, founding director of the Center for Executive Leadership in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources, please visit our website at www.richardesimmons3.com or by email to richard at richardesimmons3.com.